Richard Flint, and I want to welcome you to Let's Talk Human Behavior. If you know one thing about me, you know that I am committed to helping you improve your life from the inside out. Not the outside in, but the inside out. And I'm here to help you control those aspects of confusion in your life that offer you insights and processes that will strengthen your foundation of belief, trust, and faith in yourself. I want you, and I mean this, I want you to be better prepared, have the knowledge necessary to improve whom you are, and be stronger in the presence you have that allows you to create that presence that has a positive presence when you're not present. To achieve this, there must be a balance between what you say and what you do. The real definition of whom you are is not in the words you speak, but the behavior that demonstrates your real agenda. Ah, those three words, behavior never lies. Now, you know that we're in the midst of a discussion on the hurrying of children. In our last time together, we focused on the role of grandparents in the lives of children today. In our time together in this podcast, I wanna focus on children and education. What is the purpose of sending a child to school? Is it to educate a child or indoctrinate a child? And, and I gotta tell you from the depths of my heart, I am really concerned about the direction many schools are taking with the children that have been entrusted into their care. There's a huge difference between educating a child and indoctrinating a child. Education is about developing the learning skills a child needs to develop their mental learning. Indoctrination is about shaping a child's mind with what you want them to believe. Now, indoctrination takes away their right to develop the uniqueness of whom they are as an individual. It's not about expanding their, their mind with knowledge. It's about programming them with someone else's beliefs, opinions. Now, this next statement may get me in trouble, but I feel indoctrination is another form of child abuse. It's abusive because it's taking advantage of their innocence. The fact they are a child and are easily persuaded. This is not the job of the school system. In our time together today, I wanna to continue my discussion on the hurrying of a child. I'll say it to you again, let a child be a child. Don't force adulthood on them when they're not mature enough to handle it. Childhood is the most important part of their developmental time. My guest today is Kurt Jordan, and he's the founder of Kong Academy in Seattle, Washington. Hey, Kurt, welcome. I am so glad to have this time with you today. Yeah, I'm, I'm grateful to be here with you as well. Thank you for setting this up and for making the space for a conversation. Well, after our, uh, our interview that you and I just, our chat you and I had last week, I really got excited about this time together because I, I really think that you are on the right track with some of the things that y'all are doing at the Kong Academy. And so, uh, Tell the listeners about the Kong Academy. What is it? How is it? How did it get started? Yeah, so um, Kong Academy is a play-based organization that teaches and develops social and emotional skills to kids 
And, and we do that through play and movement because very similar to what you had just said, um, kids need to be kids, right? And part of that is play because we are mammals and we learn through play, right? We have an entire neural network in our minds that is dedicated to learning things through play because we're mammals, we're social. Like that is a huge part of how humans and all mammals learn. So we use play as a vessel or uh, to teach social and emotional skills as well as build their you know, physical competence skills as well. So um, that's what Kong Academy is. Um, why it is, is because to be honest, kids are not getting the education that they need and they're not getting the opportunity to be kids. They're not getting the opportunity to take on risk. They're not getting the opportunity to develop these, these words that uh, a lot of institutions pay lip service to. We empower kids, we create them to be resilient. We do all these things, but in reality, they really don't because um, they don't extend them the opportunity to, to fall, to uh, you know, mess up, to, to try something and have to get back up again. It's, it, there's a lot of safety nets and, that's, and that actually has created a lot of, you know, quite frankly, children to become weaker and not take responsibility for their education and delay that into somebody else. And so Khan Academy really tries to, or does, doesn't try, we do, we create a space for kids to be able to play, learn, grow, and for them to take on risk. And um, we started, I think, a little over five years ago. Um, and uh, so we made it past the five-year mark, which is which is big for a business because most, like 90-some percent businesses fail within the first um, five years. And I honestly attribute that not only to the wonderful staff that we have, the, the team that we've cultivated, but the mission because... Um, it's a need. It's a genuine need right now um, because kids are not getting the opportunity to be able to uh, grow and develop like kids once were able to. So, so that's my that's my broad stroke painted picture. Yeah. That's your elevator speech. Yeah, that's my elevator. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, one of the things you you said, Kurt, and I am I am such a believer in this, and it hurt me when I watched it happen. But you know, so many times in the schools, they took away recess. They took away playtime for the kids and they, they just keep them sort of locked away from having any kind of playtime. And I mean, would you agree that that's dangerous? Um, I would say that's abusive. Yeah. Going back to that first word, right? Like, because if you are taking away the time, like Einstein had said that the highest form of research was play, right? That guy was pretty smart, believe it or not. Right. It's like, You've got, when kids are given the opportunity to play, they're given the opportunity and freedom to choose. Without giving the freedom to choose, they're not getting to practice responsible decision-making because they're not making any decisions at all. They're being told, this is what you're gonna do. You're going to sit here. You're going to absorb what I tell you is important. And that's it, right? Don't, 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 don't talk back. Don't, don't like any, any amount of critical thinking is actually seen as disrespectful. Don't challenge this. Right. And to have to sit in a classroom without the opportunity to go out and play is essentially trying to take children and make them not children. Right. It's like, no, look, what you are is is wrong and bad. And we need to create you to become an adult. So that way you can serve your true function. Right. As opposed to, you know, play, learn, socialize, develop these skills, learn to make uh, responsible decisions in the face of risk, because if a kid doesn't get the opportunity to say no ahead of time, 
right? With some, with, with a decision that's, you know, if I'm, if I'm a child and I'm on top of a, the swing set and I'm thinking, should I jump off of this swing set, right? I get to choose yay or nay, right? If I choose yay, I deal with the natural consequences, whether they are positive or negative. And if I choose to say no, then that's actually me practicing saying no. And when do you, and like, just for parents who are listening, when would you want your kid to practice saying no? Like when they're younger and the consequences are minimal or when they start to get older and, you know, it's, do you want to try this drug? Do you want to get married? Do you want to, right? It's like, if you, yeah, it's anyway, it's a, it's a problem. So. Well, and, and you know, I, I was challenged with using the word abusive. But what I see today is abusive. I mean, if, if I have one of my mentoring students, one of the people that I mentor, he has taught his kids, if you don't agree, ask questions. So he's in the fourth grade. And so the teacher said something and he raised his hand and the teacher called on him. So he asked a question and she looked at him and said, you do not have the right to ask me questions. So he did the natural thing. Why? Because I'm the teacher. Do it again and you will go to the principal's office. So he raised his hand again and she took him to the principal's office. Well, he was in the, been in the principal's office a couple of times and they called his father to come in and talk. And the teacher and the principal was there. And the father asked the teacher, why can't my child ask questions? He's wanting to learn. And she said, because this is my classroom. And he looked at the principal and said, do you agree with that? And he said, it is her classroom. And let me tell you something, Kurt. One of the things that concerns me today is I think we're taking bright minds and we're dumbing them down. Because we're not allowing kids to think we're indoctrinating young minds with opinions, with thoughts, that they don't get the challenge. And, and so that really concerns me today that what we're doing is we're taking those children that really are intelligent and who want to grow. And it, it's not everywhere. It's not in every school, but it, it's growing across this country today where what we're doing is we're trying to make a society of clones and not allowing children to the, the right to think. Absolutely. I, I, I see that in, in a lot of schools where, you know, um, I, I have the opportunity to help raise two boys and, uh, and, and I see the same um, regardless. It, it's because um, we live in Seattle and, you know, we, there, there's a lot of, politics within schools right even think though so in seattle oh yeah believe it or not yeah <laughs> and it doesn't make a difference whether you know whether people agree disagree if you choose to question then you are a target you are painted as is as someone who is unfavorable or or whatnot and so not only is asking questions it, it's it's not encouraged but it's actively discouraged right um and so uh, yeah, I, I, I completely agree. Kids are not given the opportunity. And I think um, without the opportunity to prepare them for the world, we are just protecting them with a make-believe reality that doesn't truly exist, but helps parents feel like our kids are safer. But they're not safer because they're not being prepared. And everything that we 
try to protect them from, we are not giving them the opportunity to be prepared when they actually are going to be in, uh, you know, um, in, uh, faced with some of these things that are actually out there in the world, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, how do you deal with someone who is, you know, angry or cursing you or, you know, like whatever it might be, right? And so, yeah, and the, and the, and the thought that we are not teaching, like, uh, just to also build on your point, um, there are so many forms of alternative education that are starting to emerge, and that wouldn't exist unless a problem was, was, was present, right? Because a solution wouldn't try to present itself to a problem that didn't exist, essentially, right? Like we have, we have electric cars, right? Because we know that there's a certain problem uh, surrounding that subject. Or we have a, um, or, or these like um, uh, founder, Musk, uh, founder of Tesla, right? He created his own school. Why would he do that? If there were, you know, if there's of all the things with all of his resources and time could do, he chose to start a school. Why would he choose to do that if there wasn't a problem in education? So I think the writing's on the wall. I think it's very clear that education is in solid need. And I think one of the largest things that is missing is actually kids um, learning to take responsibility for their education. And I think even parents do this to a degree as well, because um, parents have a lot of faith in the education system where they put their kid into, an, uh, into a position where they're going to be educated by uh, more or less the state of you know, the, whatever the uh, national accreditation is or whatnot, because we have these set standards. Well, even though that, we, it, that public education is always going to be a need, um, we're not giving kids the opportunity to be educated because really education starts with the, the learner trying to learn something, right? If, if, if you sit there passively just saying, okay, just tell me what I need to know, then event, uh, you will not, and not taking the responsibility for your learning, you're going to assume that the person talking to you is going to tell you everything you need to know for your life to be prepared, which is not obviously true, right? Especially when, I mean, just consider like when you have people going away to college, how many people in who went through college are working within the degree that they actually have, right? Um, because we, it's this grand illusion that if you go to the right elementary school, middle school, high school, college, then you get the right job, then that'll prepare you for the right job. And then all of that will then lead you to the right answer. Most people are not working in the field that they got their degree in. So if, if, if that, so with that being the case, then, um, you know, we've kind of bought into this myth that this pathway is the pathway to success, right? College is three times more expensive now than it was, you know, 15 years ago. Why did it get three times better? No, it's not right. It's, uh, it's, it's, it is a, it is a business and it is something that we need to, uh, see for what it is and then decide, is that something I want my child to participate in? Some kids do learn well in a sit down desk environment with this instruction. Some kids do, but a lot don't. And so when you don't have a lot of kids, the majority of kids learning the skills they need to improve, then they're, and, and they're not fitting the model, then it's, you know, Richard, actually, you know, what's wrong with you is you have ADHD because you can't sit still. Or maybe it's, I've only moved 20 minutes today and I'm eight, right? <laughs> like that could also be a very well, you know, yeah, anyway, so. Let me, let me build on some of the things that you've said, because I think some of what you're talking about is so critical. You know, 
Children are driven by curiosity, correct? Absolutely, yeah. So what happens if we take away a child's curiosity? And like what you said, you're gonna sit here, you're gonna listen, you're gonna do what I say. And what happens if we take away what I think is one of the most important things you can have in life is that spirit of curiosity. Because curiosity to, curiosity to me is a big part of your passion for life. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, Mark Twain had said, uh, you know, the two greatest days in your life are the day that you're born and the day you find out why, right? Like to, to be able to have the freedom and to, 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 to discover, you know, what your purpose is, to discover your passions and your interests. Um, I mean, just consider this. When a kid is, um, you know, between two and three years old, they're not in school at this time. How much do they learn? They learn how to, they learn speaking. They learn a lot of gross phys physical skills. They learn a lot of, I mean, gross motor and physical skills. They learn a lot of, you know, mental abilities that they, they grow. They are able to start, some are starting to be able to pick up simple words and reading. They learn how to speak really well. You know, there's a lot of learning that happens between two and three. Which teacher taught that to them, right? We're, we're hardwired to be able to learn because we are social and we want to survive naturally, right? We're animals. We need to move. We need to socialize. We're curious to learn and grow our skills because we can do more things. So we all have this innate drive, but as soon as we go into the school system, it's sit down. Nope, stop. Stop what you're doing. Everyone stop what you're doing. Listen here. Like, and, and so to deny kids that amount of opportunity to flexibly learn what they're, what they're interested in, to have a choice in something that they want to learn. Like if you are really interested in dinosaurs, for example, imagine a kid being interested in dinosaurs. It's hard to imagine, right? But just take a kid who's really interested in dinosaurs. Hey, I want you to read about dinosaurs and then t tell me tell me what you learn. I mean, how much learning would that kid go through? How much reading would that kid do, right? If they got to pick a topic they were interested in, you could apply this to any topic and they would actually be passionate to learn something, right? They would grow a skill. Um, I just got done talking with, actually, before I got to talk with you, I just got done talking to a few educators and there's one guy who, who runs a school in his school, he's got a maker space that kids can go in and build stuff. Um, he's got a bike workshop where they, kids can actually learn how to build their own and fix their bikes. And the amount of education that happens in his school is dramatically vastly, or it, it grows dramatically um, with that type of model where kids get to work on real world things. Um, yeah, so, and I think that's actually another big piece too is denying kids the real world applications and making all learning theoretical kind of lumps it into two separate categories. It's almost like learning is not real life, right? You, if, if you really want, like, and it's been proven, if you really want someone to learn something, you give them real world experience. And if you want someone to learn how to ride a bike or how to, how to fix a bike, right? You give them a screwdriver and you're like, Hey, this is this, we're going to undo this nut here. And like, we're actually going to do something as opposed to like, okay, first, let me tell you about the history of bicycles. Right. And then it's like, none of this matters. <laughs> like I want to learn how to ride a bike. Right. I want to learn how to do this stuff. So yeah. Give denying kids real world application, which is honestly what you had mentioned before recess. That's a big place where they get to experiment and play to deny them. That is uh, a need and they need 
they need that play. They need that stimulus. So yeah, we, and I, I think it's, I think, you know, one of the things that I believe very strongly is that curiosity drives education. It drives knowledge. And you talked about, you know, we raise children to a certain place and then we turn them over to the school. And would you say that sometimes too many parents have a blind faith in the school? Absolutely. And that they don't, they don't go in and check the school. They don't interview the teachers. They don't get to know them. And that blind faith becomes dangerous. Mm -hmm. Unless their kid was disliked something, then they'll go in and say, how come my student got an, a, 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 a C plus, right? Or, you know, uh, that's not like a, a lot of parents um, are, are very over-involved, right? I mean, it depends. There's a lot of parenting styles, right? And, it, and I think it depends on that, on that parenting style. But absolutely, parents have a lot of blind faith in that system. But that's what I was referring to as well as the denial of responsibility for the education, right? It's not, not teaching your kid, hey, do you want to learn? Then open a book and start reading, right? Do you want to learn how to do this? Well, here, let's, let's go get some, let's get a soldering kit. And actually, we'll start putting some circuits together, right? It's not, we're going to, you are going to learn what you want to learn. It's, well, what did you have for homework? Nothing. Okay. Well, I guess your learning's over then, right? Like it's, it's, what did you do in school today? Well, my teacher was talking about this. We watched a, okay, no joke. I had uh, one of our kids came back and was, and said for Washington state history, they watched Monster Incorporated. Monsters, Inc., a Disney movie for Washington State history, right? Now, I'm sorry, I don't know, <laughs> I can't even begin to try to create like a, something that's not ridiculous to try to like be like, I ah, just, the teacher must have needed a day, right? You know, that might be the case, but to, yeah, uh, it's, it's not good. <laughs> it's, let's just say that. Well, you know, one of the things we're finding interesting today, Kurt, at least I find it interesting, is that Children that are being homeschooled are, they have this alternative education where it's, it's like a community of homeschooling. When it comes to taking the test for entrance into college, they're scoring much higher than the children who are in the, the standard school because that environment is more about educating and about real life than the school system has become. It's almost like the school system has become its own prison. Absolutely. How they move the kids and how they dictate to the kids. And they take away that spirit of wanting to learn, wanting to ask questions, wanting to explore, wanting to, to have adventure in their life. And I, I think there's so much in to understand in that what you're talking about is that kids need experience and to me that's what education is about yeah you you absolutely i think you 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 hit the nail on the head there because it's it's the experience when you when kids have a genuine experience they have something that they can relate to when in Khan academy for example that's exactly what we do right it's like we're going to teach you to manage your emotion right? I'm not going to sit down you with a worksheet. We're not, and we're not just going to do a theoretical imagine if we're going to stand on top of the structure and we're going to try to jump to one that's six feet off the ground to another structure. That's scary for a six-year-old. That thing is huge. That is terrifyingly large. I can stand there, help them across, make sure that they're not going to fall and they're, they're going to be safe. 
but you put a kid in that position, they're confronted with an emotion because it is real and present, right? If you want to teach something to it, you have, if you want to teach someone anything, you have to make it relatable. If it's not relatable, then why would it be, then it's not, it doesn't affect my life. And so it's already separated into this imagination land essentially, right? If I'm going to learn something that I can use, then make it relatable to my life and why it would matter, right? Like, you know, if you want to teach your kid about, you know, finances, right? Maybe they, maybe they, 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 they work around a house for some chores and then they learn they, that value of a dollar and they're able to actually budget themselves to be like, oh, wow, that $10 went by really fast. I thought $10 was so much more. It's the real world experience that's missing from education because they're not getting the opportunity to actually experiment, play, and choose. Choose is the big one. Without the freedom of choice and an amount of education, I'm just telling you what's important. And if, I, if you're just believing me, then you're not taking an active role in your education. And as soon as that happens, then you've already pretty much lost the battle because then you're expecting that everyone will tell you what you need to know, right? That's not, gonna, that's not the way the world works. If you really want to be educated, then you need to take that, that. That's the main thing. If I was able to give advice to parents is to encourage your kid to take ownership of their education. Because we, you know, we have one boy in middle school and when the teacher, you know, when there's nothing going on, you know, then it's, uh, oh, I could just do Minecraft, right? I could just do my, like, and it's like, okay, you can, but what if you were to take that time and you were able to learn something valuable that you were interested in, right? So it's this giving kids the opportunity and developing an environment where kids have that as part of the culture, as part of this is what education is, then, then if we're able to present that environment for students, then the growth is going to be at like just off the charts. It's going to be astronomical. But if we do it, if we continue this way, I agree with you. We're not going to create people prepared for the world. We're just going to create someone ready for, to join a nine to five workforce that you know so it, or to live their live their life playing follow the leader exactly yeah. yeah when when we were talking uh you said two things uh when we were talking earlier uh before we we came on to do the show and i'd really like to explore them one of the things you said is uh that students not being taught responsibility for education what did you mean by that um not being responsible for your own education, right? Essentially, it's as soon, yeah, it, it, it kind of exactly what we were just saying is that without kids learning that they are responsible for their own actions and even breaking that word down, responsibility, how do you break that word down to a five-year-old, right? Well, it's your choice to make the right choice. Essentially, that's a, an easy way to break down responsibility for those who want to try to create that understanding for a youngster, right? But if you are trying to create responsibility, first you have to understand what it is. So you, you have the choice to make the right choice. And then you have to understand that there are consequences that are attached to whatever choice you make. That ability to understand responsibility and consequences at a young age puts the understanding that whatever you do or don't do, you get, right? So it's, if, you're, if you're not, if, if you're in school and you're not, if you're not learning as much as you want, then what are you going to do about it, right? Having that understanding that a child has power, that a child has autonomy, 
That's huge. That's not something that's taught in schools, by the way, because of what you just said. Don't ask questions. Don't, 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 don't talk. Just sit there, listen, right? And of course, you've got a lot of, it doesn't mean that's across the board, but just in your story example, right? Like, and, I, and that's probably a lot more populated than people think. But, um, but to have the understanding that every person, regardless of age, is responsible for their choices, unless you're a baby and you're just a life puddle, right? But if you, if, but every person has a responsibility for themselves. So if you want an education, be, you, then read, then, then, then do something, then listen to something, then, then seek it out yourself because it's your choice if you're going to be educated or not. Well, it's like you, you know, it's like you tell a child, oh, don't touch that stove. Yeah. Yeah. And what, so what are they going to do? Well, I'm going to think of why you don't want me to touch it, which is going to create some curiosity. So I'm going to touch it. And then I'm going to immediately find out why you told me not to do that in the first place. Right. Yeah. Because yeah. that's, that goes with, and you know, in my world and in my, in my teachings, choice is big. Because I believe that we are exactly in our life where we choose to be. And mm -hmm. there's no one to excuse, no one to blame, no, no justifications. The choices you make create where you are in your life. You made another statement, which I, I after we, I thought about it, it was, uh, I, I really put some thought into this. But I'd like to, you to go deeper with it. Where you talked about uh, feelings being more important than accomplishment. Yeah, uh, participation trophies, right? It's something oh, now, that now you're now you're, <laughs> you're you're preaching to the choir because yeah. I am just I am that just drives me crazy. Yeah, um, I so so we do parkour a lot in our in our Khan Academy program, and one of the things I like to tell kids is that gravity doesn't care. <laughs> like it's it is an un it is an unjudgmental factor, right? It doesn't matter how you feel about whether or not you can get to the other side. It doesn't matter if you believe you can enough and you try. Gravity is still going to pull everyone down the same at the same in the same way, right? So, it to have kids be able to to think that their feelings are more than truth, right? Or that their feelings are more than uh, or are are bigger than uh, the reality that is around them. Um, is going to set them up for failure. Because what if two people feel differently, right? Because then already one person presupposes that their feelings are more important than theirs. So I don't want you to upset me, but I don't want, but, but this person can't upset me either. People, people believe, uh, I think, uh, and this is becoming increasingly true. I think people have this tendency to start uh, recently to start believing that they have the right not to be upset, right? But we are low, we are filled with these emotions, and it they they're just they they exist, and we have to honor those. People get angry, people upset, people get frustrated, people you know th these feelings exist. Now, people do have a right to be treated respectfully, absolutely. But as soon as kids get, um, uh, as soon as kids believe that um, they, how do I say this? Hmm. When you, accomplishment comes from difficult tasks, right? If you are going to try and put in a lot of time and a lot of effort into earning a skill and someone who just shows up on game day 
just plays and kind of tries, should they be rewarded the same? Um, and I would say no, I would say probably not, right? Uh, we, have a, we have a test that puts people into level two. Now, if I hurt some child's feelings about not passing them into the second level, but I allowed them into that level because I, because I didn't wanna hurt their feelings, I'm actively putting them in a role that is dangerous for them to participate in. So, and, and Kurt, at that point, aren't you also teaching them that um, you know there is no failure in life, and that and, and the result, and we're seeing this result in so many uh, young adults today. The fact that they feel they deserve, and they don't have to work for it. They deserve this. They deserve to have whatever they want. I was on an airplane and uh, had a young kid next to me. And he got to question me about what I was doing. And I asked him, he was, I asked him, I said, uh, do you have a job? He says, nope. He says, I don't. He says, I'm looking for one. I said, well, have you found one? Because there's plenty of them out there today. He says, no, because they don't give me what I want. Mm. Yeah. And I think if we take away failure and my, I, I, I'm notorious and I'm known around the world for defining words. And my definition of failure is fertilizer. No, oh, go on, say, say, go build on because that. Because the purpose of fertilizer is growth. Mm, yeah. And every time you fail, it's an opportunity to get up stronger. Mm -hmm. But if I never let you fail, you never have the opportunity to get up stronger. And so what happens then? We spoil you because you never have to be responsible for what you do. Uh, is, which and is we not, teach oh. you, you're always gonna win. It's, everybody gets a trophy, which is so psychologically damaging to the human psyche. Mm -hmm. Especially for the people that put in the effort, right? And, 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 and it's not, it has nothing to do with, you know, people's emotions. It, it, has, it has to deal with people's accomplishment. You, you said failure. The way that I term failure is, um, failure is not falling down, it's staying down, right? You're to allowed me, that's to fall. Defeat. To me, that's defeat. Mm, I think okay. all emotions travel in, in threes. We have success, we have failure, and then we have defeat. And defeat is when I give up. I, yeah. I, I, and I expect everybody else to take care of me because I can't do that. Yeah. And I'm fearful that we're teaching children that today. And when everybody has to win, we don't teach them. Yeah, how to get up in life. I, I I couldn't second that more. My my um my my definition is though although my definition is slightly altered. I would say, um fall. Uh, I I go I go. Uh, I guess you you said victory or uh, you said uh, success. Success, to yeah. failure, and defeat. Yeah, I go success, learning, <laughs> and then uh, and then failure, because if you fall down, like you know, because we do a lot of parkour and physical education, so. If a kid falls, I'm like, falling is learning. Falling is part of learning, right? If you fall down and you're trying something, you're trying something beyond the threshold of what you could currently do, which is growth. And so I want to, I want that, I want kids to really understand and get excited about when they are falling, right? As opposed to anything that might like, it's like, nope, you failed. And it's like, no, well, you didn't quite fail because you are trying and you're still in the pursuit of betterment. That to me is very different than failing. Failing to me is this, I, I fell, I, you know, I tried it once, it is hard, I quit, right? 
that to me, that's, that's when the, that's when for me personally, that's the, that's our, my vocabulary that I give to kids is that, and that's the switch point is like, did you get back up? Did you try again? Right. Because those are the things that we don't allow because we don't want kids to feel bad in the first place. We're almost afraid that if a kid feels bad for a moment, right, which is actually part of what parenting, a lot of parents have, have, have started this is that so much of parenting has not become parenting anymore. Parent, so much of parenting has become friendship, right? And parents are not your kid's friend. Parents are supposed to guide so that you can prepare your kid to become independent, right? Educators, you're not your, they're not, your students are not friends, right? Your students are your students, right? They are people that you are here to help prepare their lives for. And I think that this gets blended so much that we are afraid to make anybody feel uncomfortable or upset. But then that means that we're not allowing the real education to happen. Because if you're going to teach someone bravery, they have to be afraid, right? You always have to, it's always an opposition. You don't get the benefit without the negative. You don't get the plus without the minus, right? You, you want to teach your kid to be resilient, but they're never allowed, like you want to remove obstacles of, from, from their failure or from, from them falling down, then that's not going to happen. They will not learn to be resilient because they didn't get to practice standing back up again. Right. Or, yeah. You know, when I was in, when I was doing uh, private counseling, I, I used to work on the staff of a large church. And when I was doing counseling with, with families, I used to sit there and watch how some parents would violently work to protect their children from life's experiences. And we did, they didn't want them to do that because, oh, they might get hurt. Right. Or, you know, uh, and, and they, they protected their child. And as they were protecting their child, what you were talking about earlier, they were denying that child life and learning to, to live in the real world. I mean, you look at so much of what's happening today and, um, you know, th this whole thing that came out this morning with, um, you know, uh, uh, who's the gentleman with Tes Tesla? Uh, Musk, Elon Musk. Musk. You know, and with uh, Twitter, where, you know, one day a week, all the employees get a day off for a stress day, mm. you know, where they, they, they can't just handle life. And if you don't learn how to fail and my fourth most beautiful word in language for me is resilience and failure if it's handled correctly creates resilience and it creates an attitude that says i can do this but if you take that away from a child they don't know how to deal with life you you take away the opportunity for growth that's the thing you you want if you're going to teach your kid uh, to be anything, and, and I know that we're talking kind of almost on the opposite side of the spectrum because we see the problem. So we're like, here, come over here, which, which I agree with. I mean, I live in this camp, but you know, for parents who are listening, like if you have a kid that wants to explore tree climbing, for example, you can enter into a negotiation because so many parents, like what you were saying when you were talking about a kid who are, you're watching families at, at church, right? And, and it was these uh, families that would actively keep kids from, from exposing themselves to an amount of risk. Kids need risk. They need to explore that. If, if they don't, then they're not going to learn responsible decision-making. But as a parent, we have to, uh, you know what? I fully understand why 
it is difficult emotionally to watch your kids start to climb a tree because in your mind, what if they fall and get hurt, right? Or God forbid they die. That would, that would mark you forever. And you would be, you'd be all, all the pieces for, you know, and I don't want that to happen to people. However, the other side of it is they're not going to experience life. Like you had said. So what risk threshold are you willing to tolerate because the kid needs it? So where can you meet in a middle and where can you develop trust over time? So, you know, one exercise that I give to parents who have adventurous kids uh, is that they want to climb trees. Well, tuck a bandana in their pocket and let them put a band, like let, let them know how high it is safe and comfortable for you. Let them demonstrate competency in that area where you can start to feel better about their skills and then see if you can raise that bandana up a little, a few feet and then a few feet more as they, as they grow their competence and demonstrate to you because it's not, it's, it isn't your limitate, your fears become your kids limitations. And then those limitations become your kids fears, right? If you are going to let, if you're going to make, um, if you're going to, if you're going to live out of that fear, then that's going to bleed over. And you don't want that for your kid because you want them to be independent, resilient, persistent, brave, courageous, kind, loving, but you don't get that without the opposite. So what, where can you meet with your kid in the middle? So then you can develop that over time because not because swinging, swinging the scale the other way and say, no, you're not allowed to go up there. That's not going to help them because that's not giving them the opportunity to grow and learn. So I hope that's helpful. Yeah, but you know, and there's another part to that too. Also, if I don't allow a child to take a risk, not a risk that you know is going to harm them, but a risk that is going to allow them to grow, what am I teaching that child? I don't believe in you. Exactly. I don't trust you. So we we put all of these negative learnings into their life, and. You know, I believe that what I am today is because of what I've chosen to do with yesterday. And when, when I work in the counseling world, one of the things I always had to do was take people who had self-limitations and take them back to what created that. And then we had to rewrite the script. And you, if you protect a child from life, they don't know how to live. Yeah. The build off of that even and one another uh, is kids start to develop uh, limited beliefs when they're between three and four. You, you, it doesn't seem like they're, you know, it, and that's something that is not really well known for a lot of parents or people with kids is because, yeah, but that's going to happen later. No, it's not. It happens. It happens three years ago. Right. It happens. It, you know, so it happens a lot earlier than you think. And so to, to extend that you believe in your kid that you develop that. So to develop that trust with your kid, to enter into that relationship and negotiation of like, hey, even just tell them how you feel, right? Like, hey, it scares, it scares me when I see you do this, but I want you to have the opportunity to try. Can we do something in between those two? And I can watch and, and, and you know, because in that way you get what you need. I mean, it's not rocket science, even though it kind of can be emotionally difficult, but it's something that, you know, if, if entered into it, you're going to have a better relationship with your kid. Yeah, and Kurt, life is not rocket science. <laughs> it's not. It doesn't make, but it doesn't mean it's easy. Simple no, doesn't mean but, easy. No, but it takes it takes the the desire, and the determination, and the discipline. 
you said something. I want to. I want to just ask you a question on this. That and restate this for me. Between the years of three and four, it's where many children create their limited beliefs. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, how do you think this plays into all this gender identification that's being thrown at these kids today? Oh, okay. I might get in trouble uh, for this, but I. But. I believe that I should tell the truth of what I think and feel. So being asked a question, I will answer honestly. Um, I think it's wrong to, 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 to label ahead of time prior to any sexual identity that exists for a kid in the first place. Because so much that happens in kids during this time is imaginative, explorative play, right? You'll see boys put on dresses, you'll see all of these things. Now, for an adult to say, oh, have you thought that you might be a different gender? Well, first of all, what's, what, does, what, what does a man or a woman feel like? Because that's not exactly clear and across the board either, right? I, I, you know, I'm, I'm with uh, uh, my partner, and you know, she grew up as, a, as, as, as much of a tomboy as they come, right? And she never felt like a, a woman, but except that's not really, I don't know if that's, a, if that's, a, that's accurate in that way. I want to make sure I'm not putting words in her mouth, but, um, but essentially she didn't feel in the same way, but that didn't matter to her, right? It was like, she felt how she felt. So this general group identity to say, well, all, all men are, and all women are, and all this is, and all that is takes away actually from that independent, um, that, 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 that feeling of identity to the individual. And so to, to, to group and to program kids at an early age without really much of an identity of understanding, I think that that's dangerous. I think that's a, yeah. I think it's one of the most dangerous things I've seen, ha ha you know, being developed in schools today, because, you know, we, we all have a male and a female side and curiosity is going to drive kids. So you have a young girl that, you know, is a is at certain ages a tomboy so you know all of a sudden then she's classified that she must be a male hidden in a female body but it's just a part of the life experience yeah and we all have these things in us right i have i am i'm a i, I am a man i'm a very feminine man i have a lot of feminine quality right but even that, even that in itself, like what is that? What is that? Like all of these are labeled on a very weak foundation of identity of, of, of what a whole group feels. Yeah, we have a few more minutes here, but I could go on with for hours with you. Yeah. <laughs> one of the, I haven't even gotten to the questions I was going to ask you, but one of the things that also concerns me today are the tags that we're putting on kids. Like uh, the uh, the concept of being ADHD. So if you're this way, we're going to put a tag on you. So with that tag, we're going to give you medication, or we're going to we're going to help you through this. When I, I think so much of this is just an experience of growing. But once you teach a child that they have a problem, they have a problem. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then and then going back to our earlier point, then the responsibility is not on them to make things better because this is just the way that I am, right? And so I'm like, like if you have someone who is anxious, well, it's not my fault that I behave or do these things. It's because I am anxious, right? Once I have labeled myself as my behavior, and once a teacher has labeled a student as a behavior or a parent, 
then that stops all development. And that just because that satisfies the answer, because all brains, all people are looking for an answer. Like if you're looking, if it's at nighttime and you are looking into the dark and you see a weird shape, you're going to stare at that shape until your brain goes, oh, that's a coat rack, right? Like you're like, what is that? You're questing for this answer. And I think what's dangerous is that we are trying to give a simple answer to something that takes years to develop as opposed to, well, I'm going to label this kid under ADHD because it's, it, it actually, in the back of my mind, gives me a simple answer and framework. So now I can move ahead and I can put that to the side. When in reality, kids need to move. The education system we have is not designed for kids to be able to move and explore and play and create. It is designed for a nine to five cheap workforce, right? If you want to, so my, my, big, my big takeaway for this would be don't label an individual as their set of behavior, right? If I, if I say to kids, I teach this to kids, you know, as soon as a kid starts to not play by the rules in a game, when a whole group of kids are playing, kids will go, cheater, he's a cheater. Well, is he a cheater? Did you ask him if he understood the rule? Did you, instead of labeling somebody what they are, right, then which would encourage them to be that more anyway, because you just told me who I am. And if you're my parent or teacher that tells me that that's who I am, well, I might as well lean into that because that's who I am, right? As opposed to, you know, like, you are not a liar, but we need to work on some, uh, we need to work on you telling the truth when you're scared, right? Well, that's different. Children are taught whom they are. And then, you know, in too many times, the labels limit a child. And, and they hurt a child psychologically. Uh, you know, if, if you were to, um, two more questions. <laughs> if, yeah, yeah. if you were to uh, give parents just a little bit of a little tips of advice to how to be a parent today. Because, you know, I've said this for years, Kurt, uh, good parents are not born, they're raised by their kids. Yeah. And if, if you were to just offer parents just a few tips on parenting, what would you tell them? I would say a primary would be rules, consequences, and routines as a primary. If you do not have household rules, consequences that you follow up with and, may, and remain consistent on, and you, have, and you don't have routines, you are fighting so many battles you do not need to be fighting. If you have rules, consequences, and routines that were labeled, present, visual, and understood by your kid and agreed upon, then you are fighting so many battles, countless battles every day. And I'm willing to bet that that's stressing you out like crazy, right? So that's number one, create rules, structure, uh, create rules, consequences, and routines. That is going to save you so much time and effort. Um, I would say, let's see. Um, the other thing I would, I would say is preparation and protection. Everything you prepare, Everything, and I say this often in a lot of places, everything that you protect them from, you do not prepare them for. And everything that you prepare them for, you're not protecting them from. So, and the whole, in my view, the whole 
game of parenting is you start off with a baby that requires 100% protection from everything. And your job is to slowly tip, move tiny weights, fraction at a time, into the preparation zone. You cannot protect them from the world and from life, regardless of, of uh, you know, whether or not you would want them to be, which you actually wouldn't, because then they wouldn't grow their character if they didn't, if they didn't have the opportunity. And so I would say give them choices that they can manage and be there to help guide them to make better choices while they are younger and the consequences are smaller. So rules, routines, and consequences, number one. And number two, prepare them. Don't just protect them. That would be my, I think those would be two, two, two takeaways that I, for parents who are listening. Yeah, I, I think that, I think kids need to know the rules. Yes, how can I you win a game? Rules, yeah, the rules need to create structure that is adaptable. As things change, the rules can be adapted and adjusted to. Uh, because nothing, nothing is set in stone. It's always evolving. And as the child evolves, then you, as parents, we evolve with them. But, and I love, I love what you said. I think we've got to prepare, prepare them and not protect them. Kurt, if people would like to know more about what you're doing, because um, I know there's an alternative program that you're not ready to talk about yet that y'all are working on. But right, yeah. if people would like to know more about what y'all do with uh, the Kong Academy and uh, they'd like more information, how can they get that from you? Well, they can check out our website, um, kongacademy.org. That's um, K-O-N-G academy.org. And uh, that's a website that you can check out. Um, and then email us at info at kongacademy.org. And if you are trying to come up with, you know, well, how do I create rules and consequences and things and you want best practices? Um, we just launched our Thriving Kids Parenting course and uh, that takes you through that process. And the reason why we created that was because we found so many parents just were like, wait, what? I'm supposed to do, oh, okay. And then they made, a, they made their family lives a lot better. So if that's something that you are, um, are missing and that you think you'd be benefited from, I, I would just highly encourage you to check that out because it does create a world of difference for the kid. And yeah, you, I, honestly. And Kurt, I could talk to you for another hour. I'd um, be happy to, yeah. Because <laughs> uh, we, we need to pursue this some more. And I, I, I want to thank you for uh, taking this time today. And, you know, I, I think there's some very valuable insights into this of what we're talking about because it concerns me about the hurrying of children today how we're bypassing childhood and trying to get them to adulthood and they don't understand or they don't know it. Yeah. Cause this is the next generation. This is our species. This is our, this is humanity. Right. So yeah. we are shaping it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm going to, let me just say to, to all of you, uh, we're, we've got another session coming up on this, on the hurrying of the child. And we're going to uh, dive deeper into the role of parents in the development and education of their children. And my guest is going to be Cody Butler from Australia. And I'm going to warn you, <laughs> when he and I talked, uh, he's very on the table. He's very upfront, very strong in his beliefs. And you might find some of his beliefs very challenging, but they're well worth listening to. Uh, 
And I, I'm really enjoying these series that we're doing on the hurrying of children. And uh, Kurt, I just can't thank you enough for this today and for spending time with us. Yeah, and, thank you. Well, thank you so much. And so I'll see you next time on uh, Let's Talk Human Behavior and understanding that the real definition of truth is not what you say, it's what you do. And that's important. So for now, I'm going to tell you bye, and I'll see you again real soon.